Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. Where I realized that I was at my best is when I was challenged, but not defeated. I was, you know, championed because I had trust in the leader. I know that I was at my best because I could be transparent and vulnerable that then led to empathy across the organization. Hi, I'm Michael Casson. Welcome to Good Company, where I'll explore how marketing, media, entertainment, and tech are intersecting, transforming our lives and the way we do business at a breakneck speed. I'll be joined by some of the greatest business minds and strongest leaders who will share how they've built companies from the ground up or transformed them from the inside out. My bet is you'll pick up a lesson or two along the way. It's all good. It is a great pleasure for me today to welcome a very, very, very good friend and someone that I've considered a friend for more than 20 years, and that is Susie Deering. Uh, Susie, I want to welcome you to Good Company and really excited to be able to have a chat with you. So welcome. Thank you, Michael. And I can't think of a better name than Good Company because I like this company we keep. There you go. And, you know, Susie, you have a great, a great way about you. And when somebody is your friend, you actually refer to them as your friend. And I love that because I consider you my friend. And we've been through uh, lots of stuff together, all the way back to the early days at Disney in Celebration, Florida, and then finding our way at Home Depot and Verizon and, and Moxie and eBay and Ford. My God, um, the, the logos on your on your sheet are uh, some of the most important logos in the world, Susie. And they've, you know, you've got a unique experience because you've been both client side, agency side, brand side. I mean, you 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 you've played on almost every court, and that makes you an all around athlete. Uh, and I know that's something important in the Deering family. It is. You know, sports are very much at the heart. Uh, of you Georgia folks. <laughs> That's right. I know you live in Carolina, but I know you're a dog. I know That's you're- <laughs> Through and through. Exactly. Um, Susie, you've been truly an innovative force in the media and marketing world for the better part of this last 20 years. Can you give a, you know our listeners a, a little bit of your background as you perceive it? Well, first of all, again, thanks for having me on. And, and you're right, Michael, you and I have, have really weathered a lot of interesting um, paths over the last several years. And, you know, part of what I'm really proud of is, you know, I'm doing what I love. I'm doing what I went to school for, to the, went to the University of Georgia. I knew I wanted to be in advertising and marketing. I knew that at the age of 16. I knew the first company I wanted to work for was Disney. I did that. And why was that important was because I had such admiration for the brand. I believed in, you know, really what the Walt Disney Company stood for. And I also knew that it was going to be one of the best places for me to understand, although I knew it, but I didn't really fully appreciate it to understand the power of brand and the power of customer. So I can't think of a better place to start my story, which was at Disney. Um, I held so several different roles while I was there, but if I was going to summarize my journey as you just went through it with the logos and the companies, really, I would summarize it with I'm a collection of technology, data, content, and entertainment with a real, real force of commerce. So everything into transaction. I remember when you were running uh, Moxie, the agency, 
Yes. And we were engaged by Fox and Fox was one of your largest clients. And I remember you and I partnering on that digital day to bring digital marketing. Yes. And if you remember, Susie, we brought this newfangled company called Facebook and YouTube. And, and, and I got to remember who from Facebook, but I remember it was Adam Stewart from YouTube and Google who joined us. And we were trying to educate 20th Century Fox on how important digital marketing was to the motion picture industry. That's exactly right. I mean, I'm thinking back, and that's got to be 15, 16, 17 years ago. You were talking about entertainment, and and that's why I I, I look at you as being, you know, a utility. Uh, I know baseball is important in the in the Deering family. I look at you uh, being a utility infielder. You can play a lot of positions. That's right, and 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 I think Michael, you know, what's interesting about that is is that as you know very well, how you get to being able to play and be a player that can truly play different positions is by understanding the importance of who you know in the industry and where you're willing to really get uncomfortable and learn and experience. And, you know, what I would say is, is that with this combination of kind of having commerce, technology, content, and data, and, you know, in the entertainment side of it, and just what you expressed is, that's even more critical now because unfortunately there's a lot of marketers out there, you know, and they're challenged because they haven't understood it's a complex world to actually put that ecosystem together, which is critical now. And so the role of a marketer in a business, you are a business marketer. You aren't just managing big money that's at risk or at stake for the company. You're driving growth. I mean, you have to be driving growth. Well, Susie, it's so important you say that, and it's so interesting. I was fortunate to moderate a panel uh, for Forbes last fall, and it was for the Forbes CMO Summit. And the question that I was asked to opine on and I was interviewed about was, what does the CEO not know about the role of the CMO? And I found that to be such a compelling yes. you know, lead, topic sentence, if you will, or question, because a lot... The answer is a lot. And you just use the word. Sometimes a chief marketing officer today is called chief marketing and growth. Sometimes it's chief marketing and product. Sometimes it's chief marketing and communications. But, but you know, each of those words bring in a lot of meaning, growth being the one that's certainly the largest. Obviously, communications is important, but growth. Yes. That drives right to the center of what marketing's about. You're not marketing for marketing's sake. You're marketing to drive growth, to drive sales, to drive adoption, to drive engagement. Engagement, engagement you know. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I think that's a really great question that was asked because it's a completely different role and it needs to be re expressed than what it was even 10 years ago. And a lot of marketers would say that's in, that is a little intimidating because they know how to make advertising campaigns. They know how to go to market, but then to strategically take a step back and really look at a, a fully integrated approach within your business, not just within the marketing discipline, but how do you interact with the CFO so that you can have the right relationship that you're not just looked at as an expense line, that you are looked at as that growth line. How do we ensure that, you know, whatever your product is, whether it's a physical product, if it's an experience, if it's a platform, whatever that product is, you've got to have a very different relationship with your product team than what, again, not just to market it, but to help obviously grow it, develop it and influence it. You're also part of HR because 
You've got to make sure from a talent perspective, are you building the right brand externally that actually talent wants to come to, right? And most importantly now, the the, the makeup of that talent, the diversity and the need for diversity and 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 inclusion in in the right way not just to tick a box but because marketing should be reflective as we all know of the larger community and if you want the larger community to be reflected you actually need people who reflect it you got it you can't want it and not actually be it so that is so important and i think never before has it been more critical for the cmo or whatever you want to call that chief experience officer chief growth officer whoever you want that role that's sitting right at the at the senior table, and it's absolutely more critical now that the CEO and the CMO are strategically aligned because you're going to influence so many different other partners around that table. Yeah, and and you you brought this up before, and you just talked about it with the CEO and the CMO, but I also know you are very aware of the role of the CTO, and CTO's I don't mean talent, I mean technology. The CMO and the CTO, because, you know, you've heard me say this a thousand times, Susie, today, chief technology, chief information officers are making way more marketing decisions than ever before. And the chief marketing officer are making more technology decisions than ever before. So they need to speak. And, you know, there are two companies that I think reflected that early, Unilever and Coca-Cola. When we did early digital journeys with those two companies, they were the first ones to bring their chief technology officer on a marketing journey. Yep. And it was logical because you we were going to Silicon Valley. And so you needed the tech side to marry the marketing side, not only, uh, you know, the rest of those kind of marriages with CHRO and, you know, CFO. What I found recently in this economic, you know, moment is we at MediaLink are getting many of the same assignments that we would have gotten previously. But what's interesting is the buyer is different. The buyer in some cases now is the CFO. Yes. Because it's not just marketing efficiency, it's cost savings. And it's interesting because when you say, I'll give you know examples of this. Um, I believe wholeheartedly that one of the most critical relationships for a marketer, whatever you want to call that in a company, is for your technology to be, have the best and strongest relationship for your technology teams. Because the other thing to remember is, is that the technology team, to your point that you stated, sometimes has data in there, sometimes they don't, right? Like they can be separated in the organization. And this trifecta that I have found is really where the heart comes into play because the customer truly is sitting in the intersection of all of those. And when you start looking at it through the customer lens and not through your company lens, that's when the game changes because the customer today because of how many intersection points they've had with so many different brands who have gotten it really, really right in many aspects and really wrong in others, their expectations are so high as far as what the interaction from the brand is going to be. And so you can look at some of the best brands in the world right now, and they're struggling because where that where that customer is going to interact with the brand can very often be disconnected. And a lot of that is finger pointing in the organization. So if you don't, if the marketing leader isn't isn't humble to n- enough to know that they need to have a very different relationship with their technology officer, again, not to do their job. And this has been where I think a lot of that friction has come into play is knowing 
you've got to be able to, I always call it the love language. There needs to be a love language that you can establish with your technology officer and your data officer so that then the three come together on behalf of the customer. Many companies right now, Michael, they don't get that. And there's too much, let's just face it. I've been in a lot of these companies myself where the silos and the finger pointing and the fight for budget and the fight for permission, you know, whatever the, the responsibility is, is where time is being spent. And that is a fatal flaw. And we're seeing that right now. COVID just highlighted it. And I think we're at one of the biggest resets in our industry to where marketing technology and data have got to come together in whatever shape or form that looks like inside companies. Well, and, and you know, that's a great segue for me, uh, Susie, into another topic I wanted to talk about. It's bringing together the discipline and the data and, and, and all of that that we generally ascribe to performance marketing and marries it with that which we should always be uh, aligning for brand marketing. So why not call it brand performance? That's right. What say you, Susie Deering? I know this is something you you and I have talked about, but I'm curious your view on that. Is it happening? And do you think it's the right thing to happen in the market to bring the two disciplines together more? Um, yes. And I think that actually you see right now where they've been splintered. And then again, it happens with many companies that have been so focused from a performance perspective that they forgot that actually the brand is all encompassing. And so when you think of budgets, the very first place that budgets would get cut is the non-performing budgets and the non-performing, I use air quotes, was brand. And, you know, I always struggled with that because your brand is everything. Your brand is your company purpose. It's how you function and act internally. It's how you show up externally. And now in a, in a, environment where your customers can take your voice faster than half of the companies can actually act. And so if you don't understand the importance of maintaining the true integrity and the story of which you really want to pursue customers with, then the customers are going to take that on and they're going to take it over. Therefore, the performance side of your business is going to suffer. You know, and I think that what you've seen happen is this close the sale mentality it's always existed. It's always been out there that closed the sale mentality. I would hear in conversation, you know, at various companies I was at, well, what's the call to action? You'd be like, the call to action is I want people to fall in love and trust and believe in our brand. That's the call to action. Well, no, what's it going to deliver me from a sales standpoint? You're like, well, it's going to deliver. It's just in this instant right now, it's informing and helping encourage the sale. And so what you're seeing is in a digital world, that all happens, you know, instantaneously. If there is, if you want to fish and you want to make sure that you have a, a, what I would refer to very often, you know, you're filling the pond with new customers so that when you do get to the performance side of it, there's actually customers there that want to bite. We've separated for so long. Right now, the ponds are drying up because we haven't been able to really draw customers in to actually be able to then get to the sale. And we're not talking months anymore. Like that used no. to be in the old days where, you know, when we started having conversations, you had it. It's hours now. Now yeah. you'd, like, you'd have to do awareness and consideration setting and everything else. You can have awareness, consideration, and consideration fail within seconds. 
Yeah, no, no, Susie, it's funny because in the dot-com boom, when people would come to me early on and say, Michael, we're going public on the NASDAQ, we need to build a brand in 30 days. I used to kind of smile and go, you don't build a brand in 30 days. Today, you can build a brand in 30 seconds. I mean, seconds. I hate to say it, but it, it it's funny. And you talked about the pond. I do have to digress and tell a funny story. When we moved, my family moved to California in the early 50s. Oh, my God. We crossed the plains in a Conestoga, it felt like. <laughs> it must have been. But there was a place here in, in L.A. called the Sportsman's Lodge, and they had a little pond where you could go fishing. And my dad took my one of my sisters and I to go fishing in this pond. I was five years old, maybe. And we just kept catching fish. Yeah. And my well dad stocked. was so impressed. And then he realized they were stocking the thing and you couldn't exactly. fail. And they were charging you by the pound of fish that you caught. My dad said, throw those fish back. We couldn't yeah. eat those fish. But, but you, you know, you talk about that. It just made me think of filling the pond. And, and here I thought I was, you know, Moby Dick. I thought I was like a great right. fish. <laughs> you were like, man, this is my new profession. Yeah, no. Then I found out they were stocking the, the pond with fish. So it was, they were hungry fish too. That's exactly right. But it's the same thing if you think, you know, and the, the, unlike fish, um, customers can decide to jump out of that pond quick. And so, you know, is it something we should be heightenedly aware of? It's absolutely critical to the success of businesses that these things come together and you don't ever look at them separated. The biggest challenge with that is, and you're watching it right now with when, you know, companies get under pressure, where do they go cut costs? They're going to go cut costs in building the brand. Where do they see the long-term suffering and cutting the budget out of the brand? Yeah. Now that, that being said, I chatted to Mark Pritchard even a year ago as we were, we were somewhere at a conference and I was interviewing Mark. I shouldn't say somewhere. It was actually in France. I remember. And as we were looking at the economic storm clouds that seem to be forming, and you know, even now, we still look at them as forming. We don't know if they've actually erupted, although here in California, the rain has yes. convinced me that the storm clouds are real because we've <laughs> had more rain than ever, and, and I've lived here a long time, uh, maybe one of the rainiest seasons we've ever had. But I said to Mark, how do you look at that from a Procter & Gamble perspective? And Mark said, and he was clear to say, don't let the media people think we're doubling our investment, but this is the time we quote double down because this is when we realize we can gain more market share. So the really astute marketers understand the place to cut and the time to cut isn't necessarily now. This is when you can gain market share and you know get ahead of the pack. But that being said, with a, with a recession kind of on the horizon or you know seemingly, yet consumer spending is not slowing down. At a certain level, consumer spending is as strong as I've ever seen it. You know, as a marketer, how would you be looking at that? And, and what are the trends that you're seeing? Yeah, I think you're right. I think in certain segments of the customer base, we're seeing no slowdown. In fact, you're seeing in some regards, you know, to your point, a pent up demand, you know, for certain industries, right? So again, you know, a similar situation. I was going into book, you know, summer vacation and I'm shocked because in Italy right now, I almost can't find the places that I want to go to. I can't find the right availability. And that was boring. But then when you look at it, you go, well, there's been built up demand because people are now really, truly trying to get back into travel and so forth. But let's be very clear. There is a very large, large population of our in the United States and even more so in Europe right now that the recession is hitting day in and day out. And it is hitting very specific industries. 
if you start to look at where price, you know, has obviously just become so inflated on daily goods like grocery and CPG type of categories, you're going to start to see an influx of QSR restaurants versus those midstream type of restaurants. If you just go back and kind of look at it in any kind of, you know, economic situation where there was, you know, pressure put back onto the, you know, in the early 2000s, you know, when there was pressure on consumers. So it's there, Michael, it's just, it's a little bit more, I would say, strategic and surgical in nature because of where it's hitting. So again, to the point that Mark Pritchard made, if you're, you know, P&G, you're looking and saying, we definitely have to double down because they're going to be fighting on both on price and on, you know, the consumer heart because people are really going to have to make, you know, tough choices. So I think that now more than ever, marketers have to actually do what they were trained to do, which is become specialists and really understand the customer and understand which customer they're talking to and at which, where are they in that stage, you know, from an economic standpoint that, you know, is going to influence their marketing efforts. But what cannot be sacrificed, whether it's at the high end on, you know, a high end side that we've just been talking about, or even, you know, on your daily consumables and, and so forth, the brand has got to be it has to be healthier because you have to make sure that you're doubling down to ensure that that true intention span of the customer is there. So it's a really, I think for the first time in all of the study that I've kind of looked at and everything, I'm not seeing us be in this kind of interesting economic situation because there is such a variety of impact that's happening. And then you've never seen before where a consumer or a customer is even more vocal than ever than we we see today. How this plays out over the next, I think, you know, 14 months is going to be a lesson that all of us are going to learn from. I want to kind of, you know, do the future question. We're seeing so much change occurring right now. Content has become so important. I came up with 10 words that began with the letter T or the letter C, ergo T's and C's. Let me give you the T words first, and these are conversation starters. You can pick any one or two of these to talk about. The T words are trust, transparency, talent, technology, and transformation. I would submit there's no marketer on the planet who isn't focused on one or many of those T words. And the C words are content, commerce, culture, curation, creativity, and community. When I landed on these 10 words, Susie, I realized I, I landed on something that really touched all the, all the areas that our, you know, that our industries collectively are focused on. Talk about those words, pick them. How do you respond to those words? You know, I 100% agree with you that they're all interconnected and they are absolutely critical to any conversation that's taking place because it goes back to where our conversation started earlier, especially from a marketing perspective, where, where marketing sits as almost kind of the hub, you know, in the organization because it has to spoke out. Any one of these areas, whether it's content, if it's, you know, commerce, communications, or to your point, the technology that may be helping enable it, they're all interconnected. And I think the way that I look at it is an ecosystem and the ecosystem has to feed each other, right? Like it has to be able to constantly be in movement and motion. What I think that I would pull out that we lack that helps us and cut some of these. So I may break them down a little bit differently. Please. I take the two that you started with on, on the T side. 
trust and transparency. Trust and transparency is lacking in most of our leadership in any organization today. I'd add an E, I know it doesn't fit within your construct, but I'd add the E as empathy. Because if we just went through one of the biggest crisis management exercises and, and it was non-discriminating, right? Like it hit across every industry, across every person, regardless of title or anything else. And what I see right now is, is that we have a breakdown in, we're in a crisis mode, candidly, of what's a renewed sense of leadership. And this renewed sense of leadership and what it takes to create transformation, what it takes to actually transcend or to build out and take brave steps in technology so that it can enable communication, so it can enable content, so it can enable commerce. Those two things that you started with, trust and transparency, and I would add the E of empathy, are at the heart of what, what leaders need to start to really hone in on and not just give lip service. Because I look at the next generation and the next generation is right now your children, they're my children, who are looking and saying, hold on a second, I don't want to just be you know, in the grind of it every day. I want to make an impact. I want to come in and I want to create change within organization. I want to, I want to go work for companies who want to be part of my fulfillment as much as I want to be part of the fulfillment of the good of the of the business. And what they're not willing to do is just go work for people who want to beat them down. They want to go work for people who want to, you know, really champion and, and support them. They want people who are going to be true leaders and have empathy and be very transparent and be, you know, create a trust. If I look back and I've had, you know, the opportunity over the last several years to kind of take a step back and look at my leadership because, you know, I felt like that we were in transition, especially because I've been brought in in so many organizations to be a transformational leader. Yeah, you've, you've grabbed a few hairballs in your career. I did. I definitely did. And, you know, and when I looked at and thought I had not been at my best, I broke it down. And where I realized that I was at my best is when I was challenged, but not defeated. I was you know, championed because I had trust in the leader. I know that I was at my best best because I could be transparent and vulnerable that then led to empathy, you know, across the organization. And I think that that, again, is we're lacking that in many, many ways. Well, and also, you know what? There's another word that I would throw in there, empowerment. Yes. I've always subscribed to an old-fashioned philosophy, which is, you can't give somebody responsibility without giving them the authority. That's right. And, and you know, if you make an old fashioned tea chart, like we, we all grew up with, you know, you make a chart of pros and cons. Yep. If, if, when I do that, when I look at an opportunity, I always say, here's, here's the challenge. And do I in fact have the authority to carry out that challenge? Because if I don't, I shouldn't be given the, you know, the, the, the challenge because I won't be able to satisfy it. I won't be able to deliver on the responsibility you're asking me to undertake if I don't have the appropriate lever or authority. That's always, and what I say kind of tongue in cheek is the greatest cause of heart attacks and ulcers in business is responsibility without authority because That's right. you're just frustrated then because you can't pull the lever to make stuff happen. You know, Susie, you've worked in large corporations where sometimes that is a challenge 
and is an impediment to success. You know, you're responsible, but you don't have the authority. Well, it's even, it's authority. It's also, you know, very often in some of the positions that I've been in, it's been, I have accountability without the responsibility. And, you know, that has always been. Oh, that's a, yeah. Accountability or responsibility without authority. Authority. Yeah. And, you know, so I, now I've been, it's been good in some regards because the power of influence is critical. And so at an early age, candidly, Disney was the first place that taught this was the power of influence and how did you influence with an organization, even if you didn't have the ultimate of responsibility. Um, that was, that was really important. The challenge is, is that we can't get, because of all the things that we just talked about, the importance of technology, the importance of changing business models. <laughs> like some of the things that got us where we are today, I learned this at Moxie. What made Moxie super healthy was not what was going to make Moxie, you know, really successful in the long run. And that was a challenge because everybody was like, wait a second. I was like, no, well, where we're going to go, we can't get there the same way that we got to the stage. Oh, and look, we've experienced that at MediaLink as MediaLink has continued to change. And Susie, you've been a yes. great supporter and been there since the very beginning, even before. And you know that we've continued to morph ourselves because I talked about that with my executive leadership team this morning about how this part of the business is still there, the basic kind of underpinnings. But look at all the, you know, all the the the, the shoots that have grown off of that and, and and the expertise we've developed, but you can't lose sight of what what brought you together at the beginning. And, and that's right. And gave us relevance and and importance, you know, in the marketplace at the beginning. You know, who said it best? I think it's Satya Nadella, who, you know, in my book, were I ever to write a book uh, managing uh, this, I would say has been one of the great CEOs of this generation. If you think of Microsoft, not just judging it by stock value, but certainly on stock value, it's been extraordinary. But he reimagined a company in such a meaningful way. And I think it was he who coined the expression. We know this from auto racing, you know, change the tires while the car is moving. But he said it more articulate in a more articulate fashion. He said his challenge was to perform while you transform. And I use the word transformation. We all know how important it is to be continually transforming models and people and, and, and strategy. That's right. But you have to perform while you're transforming. Yeah. And I, and it's interesting because I've spent a lot of time looking particularly at the work he's done at, you know, with Microsoft, because it's been phenomenal. He also had clarity of what their real strategy and vision was, and he stuck to it. Whereas I think that again, because leaders, and I don't mean just CEOs, when I say leaders, it's leaders at various different levels within organizations. What I see happening right now is there's so much fear and a little fear is good. A lot of fear is paralyzing. And, right. you know, it, it's interesting. I'll just do a really side note. You know, my faith is very important to me. And and I had the blessing several years ago to to spend a year studying the word fear. And was mind-blowing because at first I thought, how could we talk about this word so long, you know, for so long? And it was really quite interesting because it was when I walked away from a leader, realized as a leader, I was like, wow, if we create fear inside organizations of, you know, teams that feel paralyzed, you'll never be able to transform. You'll never be able to think differently. We talk about diversity and inclusion, diversity of thinking. 
you know, yet we put fear inside organizations to prohibit that. So we talk, we want one thing, but yet our actions take on something completely different. Well, you know, I'll tell you, my grandmother taught me something which I've said and I've lived my life by, which was don't read people's lips, watch their feet. Don't listen to what they say, watch what they do. And you said something to me, Susie Deering, which I have stolen, but I've given you credit. You told me this on a conversation maybe six or eight weeks ago. You said something, and I'm going to get it wrong, but I've been paraphrasing it, something about you're not interested in talking about the things you're going to do, but you're interested in doing the things you're going to talk about. And okay. I've adopted that, and I've given you credit, but it's such an important statement about life and about business. Yeah, everybody can blab off about what they're going to do. Just don't do that. Just go do the things that then you can blab about. That's exactly not right. Not as articulate as you, but it's really landed with me and resonated. And I don't remember the context of why you said it, but it just triggered something in my mind, which is that's becoming a watchword for MediaLink in the marketplace. So I thank you for that. But, you know, if you want to kind of end on that note, Susie, give me the genesis of that thinking. Well, where that came from, Michael, was because so often we we talk about the things that we really want to see happen, but we don't really see it happening. And so I've watched this in organizations that say they want to transform, and yet until it starts to happen, and then all of a sudden they turn around and they're like, well, that's not how we do it. And it creates this fear. It creates this resentment. It creates this, oh, my heaven, you know, I, I'm going to be... I'm going to be forgotten because I don't know how to do that thing. And so you don't feel fulfilled. Um, and it's a really, really challenging situation for any company, regardless of where you are in health. You could be 120 years old or you could be 10 years old as a business. But what I've realized is here's something, and there are probably people who don't agree with me. You know, as children, we were taught when you have children, you always want them to be inquisitive, always asking questions. There's a point in time where you need to have answers. And there, there's a point in time where you need to know what the action is. And that's where it stemmed from. Because if you just talk about it, it doesn't take place. You've got to be able to actually envision what you want the outcomes to be and see the outcomes happen and know how to get there. And so, and I think that we have, we're sitting in, again, this massive reset right now where we're going to see how many people really can get to that answer and understand, you know, the right questions or the right actions to take, but we're not going to see the same outcome. No, sadly, we're not. Susie Deering, I want to thank you personally for 20 plus years of friendship and a really inspired conversation. Thank you, Michael. And, you know, I love you dearly. So I, I appreciate our friendship and um, look, thanks for the opportunity to come have this good conversation and great company together. I'm Michael Kasson. Thanks for listening to Good Company. Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. A special thanks to Lena Peterson, Chief Brand Officer and Managing Director of MediaLink, for her vision on Good Company. And to Jen Seeley, Vice President, Marketing Communications of MediaLink, for programming amazing talent and content. 